This podcast is brought to you by GoMoto, the service lane kiosk that grows your business. Want to increase revenue, improve the customer experience, and maximize service efficiency? Visit GoMoto.com to learn more. That's G-O-M-O-T-O dot com. Welcome to Daily Drive for Thursday, June 23rd, 2022. I'm your host, Jamie Butters, Executive Editor of Automotive News. And I'm Kellen Walker. Today on the show, a congressional watchdog takes a closer look at right to repair issues. More self-driving trucks could be hitting U.S. roadways soon. And we'll talk about Tesla's, quote, gigantic money furnaces. Plus, we'll hear from GM's David Strickland, who says the industry needs more help from the federal government to sell EVs. Let's run through all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry. The U.S. Government Accountability Office will examine right-to-repair issues involving the auto industry in the coming months. Right-to-repair seeks to even the playing field between independent repair shops and automakers' franchise dealers. Congress is considering legislation that would require vehicle owners and independent shops to have the same access as franchise dealers to repair tools, maintenance tools, and data. Congresswoman Jan Schakowsky recently asked the GAO to examine federal agencies' efforts to protect customers' right to repair with respect to light-duty cars and trucks. The Illinois Democrat urged the congressional watchdog to study cybersecurity risks and technology to protect customers' data. The office plans to start looking into the issues in about six months. We're closer to seeing more driverless trucks on the roads here in the U.S., Swedish autonomous truck startup Enride says it got the go-ahead from the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration to operate its trucks on public U.S. roadways. Company officials plan to start doing just that before the end of the year. Enride will launch a pilot program in Tennessee with GE Appliances in the third quarter. That project will help the company showcase its pod truck, which is built without a traditional front cab. Because of the cabless design, No driver or safety operator will be on board the truck as it drives. Instead, the autonomous trucks will be monitored by what the company calls a remote pod operator. We might see more driverless trucks soon, but probably not driverless Ubers. And that has made the company a less interesting partner for the world's largest automaker. Toyota has cut its stake in the ride-hailing company by about half. According to a regulatory filing on Thursday, Toyota held just over 5 million Uber shares at the end of March. That's down from more than 10 million shares a year earlier. Toyota had invested $500 million in Uber back in 2018 to work together on developing self-driving cars, back when Uber's aim was to offer a fleet of robo-taxis. But that proved harder to do in the real world, so in 2020, Uber sold its driverless unit to Aurora Innovation in a bid to reach its profitability goals and stop losing money. Toyota says it still wants to maintain ties with Uber. And Elon Musk is calling Tesla's new EV factories in Texas and Berlin, quote, gigantic money furnaces. Musk says the plants are losing billions of dollars as they struggle to increase production because of battery shortages and Chinese port issues. Tesla's CEO made the comments on May 31st in an interview with the Tesla Owners Club. The interview was released publicly on Wednesday. Musk says Tesla's overwhelming concern is, quote, how do we keep the factories operating so we can pay people and not go bankrupt? He said earlier this week that the EV maker will cut 10 percent of its salaried staff within three months. And those are today's headlines. Jamie, there's also a new report this week 
from Alex Partners that says it expects global supply problems and the semiconductor shortage to last through 2024. What's your reaction to that report? And what does that mean for the auto industry's plans in the next couple of years? Well, you have to take it seriously. Alex Partners has really great research. They work with automakers and suppliers all around the world. So they have tremendous insights into the operations and planning of these companies. And when they're saying this is going to last through 2024, it really has to cause a pause. You know, I think coming into this year, there was some hope that as soon as by the end of this year, production will be back to full speed, maybe even getting, you know, inventories rebuilt. That's not going to happen this year, and it may not even happen next year. Well, Jamie, for EV makers, their goals for the next couple of years might also depend on some help from the federal government. Coming up, we'll hear from GM's David Strickland about what the company is saying to lawmakers about expanding EV tax credits. That's next on Daily Drive. Listen to Fred Hayes, service manager at Temecula Valley Buick GMC, and Philip Candido, fixed operations director, talk about their experience with GoMoto in their service drive. Before GoMoto, the backups in the service lane were due to not being able to get to the customer in a, in a timely manner. There's times where menus are passed over where the advisor forgets to tell them, hey, it needs its major service. And now with the GoMoto, customers are presented with a maintenance package every time. The time freed up from not having the customer sitting in front of them every single time they come in. It helps them be more efficient. It helps them focus more on the customer's concern and the, the maintenance and service of the vehicle. Before GoMoto, we would average approximately 130000 in service gross. The kiosk and the service drive doubled the gross profit in the dealership. It's amazing. 100%. Using the GoMoto kiosk makes the dealership more profitable. Want to increase revenue, improve the customer experience, and maximize service efficiency just like Temecula Valley? Visit GoMoto.com to learn more. That's G-O-M-O-T-O dot com. Welcome back to Daily Drive. If the U.S. is going to see mass adoption of EVs in the coming years, Automakers say they're going to need help from the federal government. This month, GM, Ford, Stellantis, and Toyota asked Congress to remove the cap on tax credits for EVs. Not long after the automakers released that letter, automotive news publisher Casey Crane got a chance to sit down with GM's vice president of global regulatory affairs, David Strickland. They spoke at the Automotive News Congress event in Washington, D.C. last week. Here's part of that conversation. The Biden administration seems to have really toughened up on you know, some of the strategies around the automotive industry. How do the regulations with greenhouse gas emissions or fuel economy really play into or influence GM's electrification strategy? Well, first and foremost, that path was chosen uh, regardless of the Biden administration's decisions. We all recognize that the pathway to a uh, all electric future was really the only way to, only place to be for climate change, for sustainability, for all the issues that we've talked about, um, especially when you think about in combination with thinking about a very highly or fully automated future, electric powertrains are probably the most philic to making that happen. That being said, the decisions made by the administration have, we voluntarily went that path and a number of our other folks uh, in the industry have gone that path, but the Biden administration has cemented it. 
And not only they've doubled down on it, and I will make my pitch since Congresswoman Dingell had several moments where she was making her pitch. The issue is not the stringency of the regulations per se. I mean, yes, you have to make sure that they're economically practical, they're technologically feasible, all the things we have to sort of make sure that it's, we're not talking in sort of fantasy terms here. But you need to have a couple of things. One national standard is imperative for all of us to be able to, to reach these goals. And on top of that, if you don't have consumer demand help, you can set the standards as high as you want. You know, Scott said it best when he was up here. It's like, we have to do what the government tells us to do in terms of how we make these vehicles. Consumers don't have to buy them. <laughs> and that's the thing that they have to make sure that the administration recognizes and the Congress recognizes. So we're all in on those goals, but we're gonna have to have those policies in order to be able to match up and make these things happen. So talk a little more about that. I mean, when you see the infrastructure needed, we've talked about the tax credits, but when we're talking about making EVs accessible to the masses, mm -hmm. what other types of infrastructure are we talking about? Well, it's, it's really the components of it for making sure that the EV vision really does reach everyone. And Congresswoman Dingell talked about this too, the truly affordable EV. And you know, for us at General Motors with the Bolt, we were the first to bring to market a, the closest thing to a mass market EV. You know, now for 2023, we're lowering the price of the Bolt. I think it's about $37,000, $36,000 now for this. We are bringing it to $26,595 for model year 2023. So we're doubling down because we have to be able to get that market penetration to happen. We're making that investment because we want to make sure that families have electric vehicles. And, you know, circling back once again to the tax credit is that that's how you get the amount of vehicles at a price point where you really do get mass adoption. In addition to that, in terms of the other sort of parts of it, is not only just simply the building of infrastructure, immensely important, you know, the infrastructure bill is a down payment on it, but it's also going to have to be policies to make sure that we have support in lower income communities that typically have always basically have always been on the short end on environmental protection, you know, throughout the country and throughout the decades. Now that we're talking about how do we improve our environment, we have to make sure that it isn't just you have, I will talk Washingtonese for a minute. You can't just have fancy charging stations in Herndon or in Georgetown or in Arlington. They have to be in Anacostia. They have to be in the places where there's folks that don't have the same economic means, but they have the same access to be able to do that and in a way that's affordable. So thinking about these policies, not only as pure as how many numbers of charging stations there are, but making sure that there's equitable placement of them is also intensely important. And I think that's the point where the government can very much help. Yeah, it's interesting when you talk about an investment, when you bring that price down, it is an investment. It is. GM is still you know, not making money on every one of those cards they sell. I talked to Mark about that when we yeah. were down in Nashville. And you guys were very much a part of the letter that went out asking for a relief on the cap of the 200,000 vehicles. Yes. When you think about uh, what GM has to do to try and get some of that legislation done, how does that work and how close are you to achieving some of those goals? As Congresswoman Diggle mentioned, lots of people are talking. And I think it seems it, like that's a theme around this it's town. A lot, it's a, there's a lot of hot air going around this town, <laughs> but this is actually purposeful hot air. I think everybody recognizes that you're going to have to address the wants, needs, equities, and priorities of members that aren't necessarily aligned, you know, with expending 
American taxpayer resources in this space. But ultimately speaking for us to get there, we have to be able to get to scale. We have to be able to get to a point where we get enough of these vehicles out here so that we do can be able to, once again, be able to make a vehicle at one day without the assistance. You can't just fiat you know, a car park of 255 million vehicles light duty to just go, poof, you're gonna be electric. You know, it just doesn't happen that way. And, and, and I said, okay, just like all the investments that we've made in particular technologies, uh, whether it's on a regulatory side where we encourage particular technology to be used, like through NCAP as an example, and then you get enough scale to make it affordable to democratize safety, you know, in vehicles. It's the same manufacturing theory, no matter what you do. There had to be enough capacity for all the manufacturers to be able to build to scale, but you got to get there somehow. Making that initial investment, if our priority is climate change, you know, reducing greenhouse gas emissions, reducing particulates, all of the things that, that the government has said that this is our goal, you're going to have to make an investment to get to that goal. So stay on incentives for a minute. Let's talk two more parts. One, Congresswoman Dingell spoke about, you know, the state incentives for manufacturing mm -hmm. facilities. Scott mentioned it as well. That's the first thing I'd, I'd ask you about mm -hmm. is how important are those and, and you know, how, how is that progressing? And then the second, around that ecosystem, incentives for more supply chain. Yes. And how important that role is in, you know, this whole ecosystem that we're trying to build out. You know, the one thing that we have recognized, and I worked on this issue when I was at Senate Commerce um, up until uh, last year when I came over to GM through what was used to be Endless Frontier, it's now USICA, which has a supply chain support in that bill, which is crucially important. I think it's like uh, $54 billion total. I think it's like $2 billion specifically for auto, I think is embedded in there. We're recognizing that a full reliance on the global supply chain is somewhat of a weakness. There's always going to be a global supply chain. It's the only way that you could basically maintain the ability to build a vehicle at a particular price point. You cannot bring the entire supply chain for automotive industry or any industry 100% back in the United States and not diversify. But what this has shown that you're going to have to make sure that you build in contingencies, you have scale, and you have margin when you do have disruptions, you do have issues. And now that we've seen it, that's the important thing. And I think where a lot of this money goes, look, you can't build a uh, chip foundry like in 10 minutes, right? So even, even the money- Even if the government tells you to do even it. Even if the government tells you to do it, you're building a chip foundry in 10 minutes. <laughs> it's, it's a couple of years to get those things up and running. So what you think about today is the investment to build that margin in the future to protect us from these type of disruptions. But there's still going to be you know, a global supply chain, no matter what you do. So I, I don't want to give the sense that, okay, now that we've seen these shocks, we got to bring everything back in the United States. I think it would be, it's economically not feasible. And frankly, I think it's not practical. I think it's probably impossible. But you're going to have to figure out some other ways and figure out alternatives um, within the supply chain to be able to do that. But I think that that type of uh, support and hopefully the conference is successful, USICA gets signed into law and that money gets deployed so we can be able to, uh, to leverage that. David Strickland is Vice President of Global Regulatory Affairs for General Motors. He spoke with our publisher, Casey Crane, at the Automotive News Congress in Washington, D.C. That full conversation and all of the discussions we had during the event are still available to stream on demand on our website. Just visit autonews.com slash wash D.C. Congress. That's Daily Drive for today. I'm Jamie Butters. And I'm Kellen Walker. 
Thanks to Automotive News Coordinating Producer Jake Neer for his help on today's podcast. You can get the latest news on electrification, rights to repair legislation, and everything happening in the auto industry at autonews.com. And if you enjoy the podcast, remember to like, leave a review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode.